This morning we begin um, or continue our, our time of just focusing our hearts and minds in this month of January on just some spiritual disciplines of how do we become more like Christ? How do we more intentionally seek Him and put ourselves in a position, right, by the power of the Holy Spirit to be conformed to the image of Christ, to, to re- show His glory, to bring Him glory by the way we live? Um, and the reality of sitting there meditating just for a few moments is, uh, Brother Todd was singing, and I was praying along with him, and I thought, man, the reality is, I thought about last week and reading the Word, and how often I struggle with it. And then I thought, man, this week, pray the Word? Like, man, I struggle to pray. I don't know about you, but like just, I found so often, like as I pray, like my mind is distracted, and like I'm intentional to want to pray, but like all these other things bombard me and, and like my mind so quickly gets distracted and I begin to think about other things. And I thought, man, I was supposed to be praying. And now here I am thinking about what I'm going to eat afterwards, right? Or whatever it may be, something going on in our life. And, and then I also acknowledge that sometimes when I pray, like it, it just lacks freshness. It feels like maybe I'm saying the same words again and again. And, and if you're there, I, w- I want to share hope with you today of really the thing that I think is transform. My praying more than anything else. Ultimately, it's a work of the Holy Spirit who, who, who brought me to this place to help me reveal this. Um, and I think the good news is, is that as I studied and read, is that I realized that it wasn't just this way with me. It wasn't just me that struggles to pray. But I, I want to share with you just as we start, a man by the name of George Mueller. George Mueller lived in the late 1800s in England. And he is one of the greatest used men of God to ever walk on the face of the earth. Mueller, over a period of time, provided for over 10,000 orphans. And what he did is he never advertised. He never once asked for help. But every time there was a need, and oftentimes he would have up to 1,000 orphans at once, he would go to God in prayer. And sometimes it was the last minute. As, As supper or the meal was being brought, there was not the food to provide. And yet God would faithfully provide and send what they needed. And Mueller says that, guess what? He struggled to pray. And I thought, how could a man that's used like that struggle to pray? Listen to his own words. After having such much from wandering of mind for the first 10 minutes or quarter of an hour, even half an hour, I only then began to pray. Mueller says he struggled to focus in prayer. It just baffles me. And so what changed for him was the same thing that the Holy Spirit began to transform my prayer life. Look what he says this. He began to search every verse to meditate on it. And after a few minutes, my soul had been led to confession or to thanksgiving or to intercession or to supplication. So that though I did not, though I did not it, as it were, give myself to prayer, but to meditation. Yet it, yet meditation turned almost immediately more or less to prayer. Beloved, this has been my experience too. And that's why we began with read the word. Because as we read God's Word and we begin to think and meditate on it just to slow down and contemplate, what's that verse say or what does that statement say there? My heart often then is given birth to prayer. And guess what happens? Does that mean you don't get distracted anymore? No, absolutely. But when my mind wanders, then I come back to say, oh man, where was I praying? Oh yeah, I was was in verse 5 and I reread verse 5 and all of a sudden, immediately almost, the Spirit again begins to give life to my prayers. The Spirit begins to empower it. So I want to let you know today that if you're here and you just be honest, maybe like me and say, you know what? I struggle to pray Then I want to let you know there's hope and the hope does not come from you or I. It comes from the power of God himself indwelling us by his Holy Spirit. 
And God uses his word. Listen, as we talked last week about reading this word, God empowers the word and begins to grip our soul that that word launches us into praying in accordance with God's will. And that's encouraging. Why? Because the Bible says if we pray in accordance with his will, we what? We have it. So it's an encouragement today. And so I just want to let maybe you know this truth, that praying the word transforms our prayer life. Maybe today you're here and you say, I just struggle to pray. I want to let you know, praying the word will transform your prayer life. It's the spirit who gives power to this. Today, I want to walk through maybe just a guide. It's a little bit of an acronym, okay? It's a little bit funky. I acknowledge that, but it it works well um, for my own soul. It's worked well for our family and others who I've heard it from. And and so it's just this simple acronym. It's the word pray, and it stands for praise, repent, ask, and yay. All right, we'll come to that yay. It may sound a little bit weird even now, but we'll come to it. So let's begin with the first one, right? This call to pray the word. It says we pray the word by praising. That we begin our time of prayer of praising God. Now I want to show you the image today. We're going to be back again in the book of Nehemiah. So if you have your copy of God's Word, I encourage you. Nehemiah chapter 1. As you make your way there, I want to show you a little bit of this Google image. Alright, so again, when we think about Iraq, we're thinking, or, or thinking about Babylon, the Old Testament, right? You're thinking about present day Iraq, alright? So somewhere southwest, I think of Baghdad, presently was where Babylon, the capital city, would have been. All right, and so we know that Cyrus the Persian issued the decree that the Jewish people should return back to their homeland, and they're going to do that. And so we saw last week as Ezra began, and there I think about 458 B.C. It's now about 13 years later, and this report comes back that although some Jews have gone back to Jerusalem and they're working on rebuilding the temple, the truth is the walls and the gates still lie in ruins. It's this man, Nehemiah, who hears this, and he begins to be broken and weep. And that weeping and that will drive him to a time of prayer and fasting and praying the word. Now, we know that Nehemiah returns back. We don't necessarily know how long it takes him. Ezra is estimated about four months to travel this way. And you can look there. Google Maps says if you walked it today, it would take you about 222 hours. Right. You can imagine that as many of them were traveling back with the elderly or children and others and people getting sick and hurt and fights and all the things that can happen. Right. You can imagine how long it might take. But that's the road they're traveling back to Jerusalem to repair its walls. And listen to what happens. After he hears this report, listen to what Ezra does. Begin in verse 3 of Nehemiah chapter 1. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exiles in great trouble and shame, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. It has no way to defend itself. God's people have gone back, but they have no way to defend themselves. And enemies are all around Listen what it says, Ezra, or Nehemiah here, verse 4. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Then listen how he begins this prayer. And I said, verse 5, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Notice what happens here again. Nehemiah is the cupbearer for the king. He's the one that will test the drink and then pass it in the hand of the king to assure there's no poison in it. And so Nehemiah soon is going to go before the king, but he's going to go sad. Why? Because his homeland, his people, the gates lie in ruin. The walls are torn down. But he knows the danger of doing so. To go before the king unasked or to be sad in his presence means absolutely you become a shish kebab, right? Your head gets lopped off. He knows this, that it's terrifying to him. Yet there's a greater burning in his soul. Something greater than the fear of men. It's the fear of God. It's the fear of God. 
And listen to what happens here. What about Nehemiah? Look what he says. O Lord God of heaven. I love that statement. O Lord. And listen to what he says. He calls him the God of heaven. It's interesting. Why? Because he's going to go before a great king, Artaxerxes, right? He, he, the Persians rule much of the known world. And he's going to go before this earthly king. But before he goes to, before this earthly king, he goes before the king of heaven. I, I studied this week. I, I came across something I wasn't even aware of. That when the biblical authors talk about heaven, they're not simply just talking about a place, but also a position of power. Think about this. When we th- talk, talk about the president, and we say the president lives where? In the White House. When you talk about the White House, you're not just simply saying, that when you say the president's in the White House, just simply that's his physical location of where he lives. It's also a position of power. The president's in the White House, right? I mean, that was why you saw right after 9-11, Bush come forward and stand on those steps there at the White House, right? It was a sign of power that the American people, right, would rise up, that they would fight against this. And so when we go to God, notice this, we begin a time of praise. We go to the God of heaven. Isn't that what Jesus taught us to do? Our Father who art what? In heaven. That's what Jesus taught us to do. It's to go to our Father in heaven. Right, do we think about as Psalm 115, verse 3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. It's saying not just simply that He lives in a position there, but He has authority in heaven and earth. That's what Jesus says. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. My Father has all power. It's this time of going and praising God. But notice what He says. Oh Lord, great, oh Lord, God of heaven. He begins His time of prayer and praise. Notice what He calls Him. He calls Him the great and awesome God. The great and awesome God. Some translations there, depending on if you have the King James, you may read the great and terrible God. Well, what's Nehemiah doing? He's praising God through his word. Why? Because look what happens as he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 21. See, Deuteronomy chapter 7 was Moses as he spoke to the people of Israel. And he says that you guys are going to go into the promised land, into Canaan. But there are many nations there who are bigger and stronger than you. And the reality is, I know that you're going to be afraid. See, some of you are there. You're facing things that are too great for you, and there is a great fear upon your life. Listen to what Moses said to the people. Look what he says. Deuteronomy 7, verse 21. Do not be in dread of them. Wow. For he says, the Lord your God is in your midst. And this God that's in your midst, who is he? He's a great and awesome God. Guess what? When Nehemiah prays, he's saying, I'm getting ready to go before this great king. I may die. What hope is there for me? And he says, I want you to know, do not forget who is in your midst. Don't be afraid to go before them, dread of them. Why? Because the Lord is in your midst and he is the great and awesome God. There is no God like him. You see, I think it must be encouraging to pray to the same God who spoke to Moses in the burning bush. It must be encouraging to Nehemiah to pray to the God who who delivered his people out of Egypt and part of the Red Sea. You see, it must be encouraging to Nehemiah to pray to the God who drove the people, the great and awesome God who drove the other nations out of the promised land. But guys, I want us to know that we pray to the same God. The God that Moses prayed to, that he encountered the burning bush, that's our God. The God that that drove the other nations out and gave the people the promised land, that's the God that we pray to. The God that Nehemiah is praying to, the great and awesome God, that's the God whom we pray and we praise So I want to encourage you, as you begin your time of praising our great and awesome God, I think it also reminds us as we begin to do this. Again, why do you think, why do we start with praise? Why don't I just start telling God all my problems? Because I think as we begin our time of praising God in our prayers, 
It begins to show us how big he is and how small our problems are. When we begin to meditate on that, you're the greater. Look what all that you've done throughout the Bible, God. I see who you are. Surely, God, this that stands before me is not too much for you. You're the great and awesome God. You're the Lord of heaven. Do you see how even now, maybe what you're wrestling with, it begins to give you joy, begins to give you peace. You may not know how it's going to work out, but you know that there's a God in your midst who is willing and able. But Nehemiah isn't finished. Look what else he says there. He says he's the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Nehemiah is praising God. Why? Because he says, God, you're faithful to your word. You keep your commandments. You keep your covenants. Not only that, he says, God, your love toward us, it never changes. It's steadfast. Isn't that good news today that, that God's love towards you isn't dependent upon your performance? Isn't that good news today? That God's love towards you is not dependent upon how you perform this week. That is good news. He is a God of steadfast love. Now, Nehemiah is clear. He says it's with those who love him and keep his commandments there at the end of verse 5. And I think this is the reality is as you and I go to praise God as we begin to walk through these other things, what I'll often find in my own soul is it isn't long before I come to Jesus. Because I read that and I think, man, I am so pumped that I have a God who is in heaven who is the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenants and his steadfast love toward me never changes. And then it says, with those who love him and keep his commandments. And I think, ooh, now I'm in trouble. And that, even in the midst of praising God, soon finds me praising him because he's the one, as Mark said, kept the commandments on my behalf. He is the one that has declared me righteous that has qualified me to receive this unmerited grace, this unmerited kindness of God toward me. And so it's Christ that is our faithfulness. So what you will soon find as you go to praise God the Father, as you go to Him in prayer, that you soon, it will not be long, beloved, before you begin to thank and meditate upon Christ and His glory and His goodness and all that He's done for you. And so there you are praising Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's this beautiful moment. And so guess what? As a church... This is why we begin our service each week with a call to praise God. Right? Mark may share something about an attribute of God. Today it was his what? His righteousness. We may think about his holiness or his power to save. Mark may share about how all of creation is praising God and we ought to as well. It's not accidental that we begin our service this way. Why? Because I think the reality is your soul and my soul, sometimes we just kind of get a little slumberous. Slumberous. Slumberish. Right? We're a little sluggish. Maybe sometimes we even, for honest, we get bored with God. And as we pause, as we come in this place, it's a reminder, who is this God we're getting ready to worship and hear from? Ah, he's the Lord. He's the God of heaven. He's the great and awesome God. Who is this God? He is our righteousness. And so we began each week just spending time intentionally at the start of our service, just praising God. Have you ever disrespected someone in authority over you? Maybe you heard something back like this. Don't forget who you're talking to. Right? You ever hear something like that probably from your parents, grandparents, a teacher, a coach, right? Some of you have been in the military. I'm sure you experienced like, don't forget who you're talking to. What are they saying? Like, check yourself, right? They're saying, check yourself. Don't forget your place. Don't forget who you're speaking to. And I think as we begin our, our time of pray, a prayer, we ought to praise God. Why? Because we need to remind ourselves who we're speaking to. We're speaking to the God of creation, We're speaking to the God who loves us so much in our sin that He sent His only begotten Son for us. It ought to begin to resonate in our hearts and minds 
to not forget who we are talking to. And guys, that ought to compel us forward to praise Him. So Nehemiah begins his time of praying the Word by praising God in light of what Moses has said in Deuteronomy 7. But then we come to the second, right? Think about the acronym PRAY. So praise and then repent. We pray the Word by repenting. Notice that word is, is the ongoing continuous, repenting. We're not one time repenter, right? We are those who continue to live a life of repentance. So listen to what happens. After he prays this in verse 5, it says, verse 6, Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. Notice what he starts to do. Confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. And I like it, right? He starts out kind of talking a little bit about them, and, but it doesn't take him long before he starts to say we. We have sinned. And then this, man, he gets really specific. This is a... This is a Bam, even I and my daddy, even my my family, we sinned against you, God. I mean, he just, man, he just, how does he so quickly move from praising God to confessing sin? Well, guess what happens? When we see who God is, this great and awesome God, this God of righteousness and holiness, we quickly begin to realize, I'm not like him. I'm different. You see, when we see who God is, we begin to rightly understand who we are. And who of us, by looking at God, can't see how unlike Him we are, how unfaithful we've been? I mean, consider for a moment the prodigal son. Right? The prodigal son who tells dad, I wish you were dad. Give me all, dad, give me all your possessions and I'm going to go live any way I want, which is exactly what he ends up doing, right? He ends up, finds himself, right, in, in, in basically in bondage, feeding the pigs. It says there's a moment there that he comes to his senses and he thinks about who? His father thinks about his father and his father when he thinks about him he knows and he sees his sin but he knows that his father is the great and awesome god the god of heaven the god who says that although our sins are many his mercy what church it's more oh hear that today for your soul though your sins are many his mercy is more it's the prodigal who reminds us the truth of romans chapter 2 verse 4 do you not know that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? God's kindness. It leads us to repentance. There it is with the prodigal. So it is with Nehemiah. He acknowledges, right? It's, it's, it's not just those people who are sinners. It's, it's, it's me. Even I. And not just me. I mean, like it's, it's, it's my father's house. It's, it's our church. So while it's hard, it's also beautiful for like the prodigal God. Mercy draws us back home. And notice it's us. It's not just you. It's not just me, but it's us. And I think that's one of the things each week as we gather as a church and we spend intentional time confessing sin, repenting of sin. What's the reminder? Well, as we confess and repent of sin, we look around and think, me too, man. Me too. I'm a sinner. I've broken some of those commandments. Like, I, I, I'm guilty just like you are. Like, I mean, I think that's one of the things that's been so encouraging is we gather in community groups and, and hear other brothers and sisters just confess things they struggle with. I think, man, me too. Me too. My, my struggle seems worse than yours, brother. I think it's just those moments when we as a church, and they unite us as we, we pause and just confess sin together. It's a realization throughout this body each week that, hey, man, we all have the same problem and struggle. 
We all are sinners separated from a holy God, and yet there's a God who loves us in our sin. It unites us. It's a reminder of that. And so maybe you're here and you're wondering, so Blake, you're talking about praying the word. Like, how would you pray maybe this word right here? If you're just reading this in your Bible time, how would you pray it? Well, let's just look just for a moment at verse 7, and then let's launch in maybe just to praying that. Look what he says. Nehemiah says, We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. What's he doing right here in verse 7 when he thinks about the commandments? He's thinking back. He's meditating on the word, isn't he? Those things we heard, no other gods before me, honor your father and mother, you shouldn't lie or steal or commit adultery or murder and covet and on and on. He's meditating, thinking about those. Right? He's praying the word. So why don't you just, just for a moment, let's just bow together and maybe just let's pray the Holy Spirit might just lead us. And I, I want to pray, but I invite you to pray with me as you consider it. Let's just bow for a moment. Father, as I I read about these commandments, I know that I'm like Nehemiah, I've broken them. Lord, I think about your word. It says we're not to murder. But Jesus said that if we've hated someone in our heart, we've committed murder. Lord, you know the bitterness that I'm battling toward that person. God, would you just change my heart, Lord, please. Please, Father, forgive me and change me. Help me to forgive others as you have forgiven me. God, I know that there are idols in my life. I know this week, Lord, I struggle to lead my family in family worship because I've enjoyed entertainment more than spending time opening the Word with my own children. God, forgive me of that. God, help me be just a more faithful father. Father, that points my children to your word and give me courage, Lord. Give me strength just to turn off the TV or whatever's in front of me. Spend time talking about your word with my family. So God, please change my heart. Forgive me. Pray in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen. So maybe that's just really, again, just something simple. As I'm meditating through, I might just think through some of those commandments and Consider maybe ways in which I've broken them and, and just spend time meditating, confessing those to the Lord. Um, I think the reality is in the midst of those, right, we, we just keep drawing to Christ. As I'm confessing sin, I'm thinking, thank you, Jesus, that you would forgive me of this. Thank you, God, because this isn't the first time I've done this. It's like, God, I'm a repeat offender. And yet you're willing to forgive me. God, thank you for who you are. So Nehemiah provides us an example of praying the word. He, he begins by praising the word, praising the Lord, and then he comes to a time of repenting. So the P and the R. And then third, look at this. We pray the word by asking. So P is for praise, R is for repent, A is for ask. Right? We pray the word by asking. Right? This is the portion which we come to where we just say, God, we need your help. Right? You might think about it about other prayer type, call it supplication, or right, of times of prayer of petition. I mean, consider it. God is awesome. Yet Nehemiah and all the people are rebellious sinners. What's there to offer him in the land which they are, right? They're in Babylon. They can't free themselves. Like, what do you offer a God when you can't free yourself? The one thing that God delights in, to look to his son. Listen to what he does here in verse 8 of Nehemiah chapter 1. He just calls out to God's mercy. He's asking the Lord for his favor. 
Look what he says, though. It's beautiful. Verse 8. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying. Guess what? He's praying the word. That's exactly what he's doing. He says, remember the word. God, I'm going to to call to account your word. That's my position of authority and power. This is Nehemiah's strength to pray. He's praying God's word. So you know what that assumes? It assumes back to last week that we're not simply just reading the word, but we're beginning to memorize the word that we might meditate on it. As the psalmist says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not what? Sin against you. Nehemiah is calling forth that word. I want to challenge you, begin this week, with just a memorizing of one verse. Maybe say, Blake, I am terrible at memorization. John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. Start there. Contemplate the fact that God actually became flesh and he wept over things that broke his heart. He, broke, he, was, he wept. Just start there. And next week you can show up with that or maybe one other. I want to encourage you. Begin just hiding God's word in your heart that you can meditate on. You can think about it as you walk down the hallway, as you drive down the road, right? And just contemplating God's word. Look, what he says, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying. All right. So he's looking back to Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses one to six. Look what it says. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. That's exactly what's happened. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, He says, even though it seems the most impossible of situations that I could ever bring you back from this. Look what he says. From there, I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Nehemiah is praying God's words back to him. He's relying upon what God has said back in Deuteronomy chapter 30. He says, guys, we're actually in that situation. We, we, we've earned it, God. We, we've messed up. It's clear. But I know that you are a God who redeems his people. It, it's not by our power, but God, it's your great power. It's your strong hand. We can't set ourselves free of this. This sin is crippling. The consequences of where this has led me is beyond unthinkable. But I know who you are, God. I know that your mercy is more. I know that you are willing and able to forgive sinners like me. And so he's just beginning to call out to God. God, would you do what you have promised in your word? Would you bring us back? God, would you restore us? Would you redeem us? Would you set us free? This is hope, right? I mean, notice again that Nehemiah, he's specific. He he gets really specific. Yeah. And he asked God to help him. And I didn't didn't write it down here, but for some reason I didn't copy verse 11. I want to draw your attention to it. I'm sorry. Oh, Lord. Let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. Listen to what he says. He's very intentional here. And give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. He says, God, I'm going before the king. But I know that even you, as Proverbs 22, 1 says, that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord like a stream of water. He turns it wherever he will. It's like a water hose. It says that God can turn the hearts of the most powerful men and women on the face of the earth. He can turn it wherever he will. He's very intentional. I I think I'm guilty at times of just not being specific enough. I I pray God bless our people. And I think sometimes God echoes back like, which people? Who in your church? How? Have you thought about that? Like when you begin to pray intentionally, that's something I just try to wrestle with. And and I I try, most of you guys, let's be honest, you're creatures of habit. 
And so because of that, like it works in my favor. Like I try to be very intentional of just when I'm maybe just walking through the house or maybe I'm bowing down to pray and I begin to search and I can say, well, I can see John Paul over here. I can see the Scots here. I can see Elvis. Like, boom, man. Right. You guys are just creatures of habit a lot of times. Right. And so I begin to search the pews thinking about you and thinking, what are they struggling with? Sometimes I got to be honest, say, you know what, Lord, I, I'm not invested in them. I don't know what they're struggling with. I don't know how to best pray for them. Even that leads me to confession, but, but beginning to pray for the people intentionally. Why did I say that? Well, uh, it's a reminder. Like there was a time when Emily had just started her cake business and, and she was struggling and, and she was discouraged. And she's like, I just don't know if it's going to happen or work. And man, early one morning, I was just there reading. The Lord just said, Blake, have you asked me to help? It's like, no, God, I haven't. It's like, well, why don't you ask me? I was like, Lord, would you just, if it's, if it's your will, would you just raise up people for my bride and provide the customers? Simple prayer, boom, probably 10 seconds. I walk on, I don't say anything to Emily. We go to meet that day at lunch, and she's like, you will not believe it. I've had like five people today who've called just this morning. I don't know how I'm going to make all this work. Like, and God was like, for real, Blake? Do you not think I'm able? Why would you go everywhere else other than coming to me? I'm your father. You know what Jesus says? He says, how many of you, if you went to his father and you asked him for bread, would give him a stone? Or if you asked him for fish, would give him a snake? He says, if you then, though your hearts are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? I want to ask you, what have you asked him for intentionally, specifically? How are we as a church praying, right? Intentionally and specific. That means that, guess what? To be honest is, we got to know our people. Are you connected enough here that you know others? Do you know the burdens of others in this, this room? Are you invested in a Sunday school class or being a part of community groups where you're just taking time sharing burdens? All right, let's be honest. As Tim and Sally go out, do we know their burdens uh, of what they need? How can we best be praying for them as a church? You see, that's intentional time each week. Brother Todd comes often or I to lead us in an intentional time of prayer. We may... Th- focus on an intentional ministry or a need that we have in the church or we may focus on an area of our community or maybe something that's broken in our nation and part of that reminder is of reorienting reorienting all of our minds and our hearts to say this is what we ought to be focusing on we need to give time to pray this but it's also a reminder to you that guess what it's okay to pray the same things again it's okay to go before god and ask for that again hopefully you hear us modeling it's okay to pray and ask god for healing we believe that god is able so I want to remind you, as we, be, as we pray each week, to join us in our prayers. Don't just sit idly as Mark is giving God praise and let that launch you into a time of praise. If there's a time of confession of sin, spend time confessing your sin. As you hear Brother Todd or whomever here standing, leading in a time of prayer. Right? As you hear the Christian daily prayer through song, are you meditating? Man, Lord, that's what I want. That's what I need, God. Join us. Don't sit passively participate come be a part of that so again we hear nehemiah praying the word by praising repenting and asking and lastly we pray the word by yaying right i I get it right yaying is just a simple way of saying thanks i admit it's quirky right but it works right because my boys are often asking when we're trying to help them grow in prayer and you may say well i don't know why you should be meddling in their prayers well the same reason why i'm meddling other things right now that they're in fifth grade, I hope they, they, they understand math or reading or whatever better than they did in third grade. It's the same reason why Judah, as a, kid, a first grader, has different responsibilities or chores at the house than Pavey does, who's three. There's expectation of growth. Well, the same way in praying, just trying to talk through, baby, this is how we pray. These are some things I want you to think through. That doesn't mean I'm interjecting every time. Whoa, stop, that wasn't good enough. 
but just trying to help them. All right, let's, let's just, what is there anything you need to repent of? What do you need to maybe ask God? Who could you pray for? I'll be honest with you, that time of repentance, man, some of my boys, especially, there's a few, man, they are, they are really honest and transparent, right? Stuff gets barfed up on the way to school, and I'm like, what, you did that? Right? I'm like, watch out! Like, Miss Carla's going to have to be, like, karate chopping you as you get out of the car. Like, I mean, what? Right? It just, but, I mean, it's just honest confession of repentance. So, again, this yay, why is this yay there? Why? Well, because, one, it's P-R-A-Y. It fits. It works. But I think it's a reminder to us that oftentimes when we come to thank God, it can just feel like a religious to-do list. Thank you, God, for this food. No, yay. God, if you didn't provide this food, we wouldn't eat today. I know we can't conceptualize that because we're Americans in this prosperous land that I thank God for, but man, it can lull us to sleep in thinking that our hands have done it. I hear the Proverbs right saying to us, Lord God, don't give me too much that I would turn my back on you and think I don't need you. And don't give me too little that I might be tempted to dishonor you and steal. Give me just enough. Give me baby bear's pudding. Give it be just right. Why? Because I know my tendency. Either to think I've done it or to think you're not good enough. And so guys, as we pray, there ought to be a yay. God, thank you. Praise your name. Now I'll be honest with you. Nehemiah doesn't give a yay in his prayer. And so, but notice what happens in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 8. This is following the time when he, he goes before the king. And listen to what happens. In a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And listen to what it says. And the king granted me what I asked. And this is a statement here. For the good hand of my God was what, church? Upon me. And I, I think that statement there is in some way his yay. God did this, right? That's, it's God who brought this about. I knew that this God was beyond my power. I, I couldn't change the heart of the king, but you could. Like, God, I can't handle this, but I know that you can. Could I ask you this past week, what took place because the good hand of God was upon you? Now, the reality is, right, we hear the word of God saying to us, in him we live and move and have our being. So the reality is everything we have is a result of God. But I want to press it maybe to a different angle. Is it possible that we have nothing to say yay or give thanks for because our prayers have been so little? We haven't really prayed and asked God to do anything that we feel like we can't do ourselves. I'm often convicted that my little prayers reveal a little God. So we need to pray big prayers. Why? Because we have a big and awesome God. A God who can do immeasurably more than all that we can ask or even imagine, Ephesians 3 says unto us. That's who this God is. It's a God who can change the hearts and minds of, of people like Artaxerxes on the throne. He can change the heart of presidents, of governors, of local rulers, of Supreme Court justices. He can open the job, the door for a job for you or someone in your family. He can heal someone that has a grim prognosis. Do we believe this? If so, do our prayers reflect it? Are we really praying, church? I mean, like praying prayers that only God could do. Nehemiah's like, God, I've got to respond. I have to, like, man, you're going to set us free and we're going to go back to our homeland and rebuild. And they're going to face all kinds of trials when they get there. You can read through Ezra and Nehemiah. Right? Just because God hears an answer doesn't mean everything's going to flow smooth. But God's going to be in your midst. He's going to be faithful. This past Tuesday morning, I'd taken the kids to school and um, Emily was going to be heading over to help her brother with some more of the tornado work and there at his home. And I. Uh, I didn't see Pavey that morning, so I just picked up the phone, and I was like, hey, babe, could I talk to Pavey? Right, that's, that's when you get in trouble. 
And so she answered the phone. She said, hello. And I said, pay the LA, Jesse. Is that you? What are you doing? And she says, daddy, is that you? I've missed you. And I was like, that girl could ask me to lasso the moon. I'd be like, give me my lasso, right? My point is what? In the midst of praying, calling my daughter wasn't a duty. It was a delight. Why? Because I love her. I know her. I want to cherish her. Guys, as we come time to pray, we have someone greater than our children or grandchildren or your sweetest pookie bear. We have the God of heaven, the great and awesome God that we can call upon, that we can cry out to, that knows our struggles and our weaknesses. Let his power, his kindness, his mercy is more. Let it call, let it urge you to pray. And as God hears and answers, let it just propel you to yay. Thank you, God. See, today the reality is some of you here are not yet believers. And the truth is, just like Nehemiah, you stand at a crossroads. You can't make it back to the promised land on your own. You'll never be good enough. In fact, none of us are. And the truth is, the only way to get to the promised land is to do the very thing that Nehemiah did, go to God. And when we come to God, we go to Him through the Son, Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Why? Because the Son of God came and did what we could never do. He lived those commandments. As Mark said, He is our righteousness. It's His faithful obedience of living that law that we were called to live. And now we realize because of our disobedience, we're separated from a holy God. So how are we to restore to Him? How are we to inherit the promised land to be with Him forever in the new heaven, the new earth? The Bible says we are to come to Christ, confessing our sins, repenting of them, acknowledging, Lord, even I, Lord, even I, I'm a sinner. I'm separated from you. Oh, God, have mercy on my soul. Forgive me, Lord. It's the good news of the gospel. There's a God who, like Nehemiah, we can cry out to mercy to. He hears and answers prayers. Today, I want to compel you as you think about praying, man, would you call out to God? That he might forgive you of your sins, put in your faith and trust that Jesus Christ is your righteousness. He lived the life that you could never live. And the life that you live was credited to him and his life was given to you. It's the good news of the gospel. I want to challenge the church as we think about praying privately and corporately, yes. But I want to challenge you specifically. I want to ask you that as you think about your relationships this week and the weeks to come, that you would ask this question, how can I pray for you? And then, unless providentially hindered, and that will rarely happen, pray for them right then and there. I mean it. I was a pastor. I'll never forget my grandmother had passed, and the pastor at South Camelsville, who was my grandmother's pastor, called me up on the phone, and he said, well, well, Blake, I want to pray for you. And I was like, well, man, I appreciate you. Thank you guys for praying for us. He's like, no, I mean right now. And he prayed for me on the phone. And I never realized or even thought the fact that you could pray for somebody on the phone. How can you pray for someone? Just asking that question. Hearing their hearts. Maybe it's in the grocery store walking down the aisle. Maybe it's when you pull up to one of your buddy, next to your buddies in the truck. Maybe it's pulling another teacher aside at school in the hallway. Maybe it's walking through the nursing home and pausing. And you say, well, they don't realize or even know what I'm doing anyway. That's okay. God does. We know how God works. He works beyond what we could think or even imagine in that moment. I want to compel you. Just that simple question. How can I pray for you? Let's do it.
Let's go pray for people. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. God, you are, yay. It has been a joy and a true delight to preach your word this day. Thank you for Nehemiah's example of just praying the word. Thank you, God, that we don't have to have all the other fluff and stuff. But, God, we have your word, and that is enough. Thank you that you are the great and awesome God. Lord, we just thank you today. Thank you, God, for all the ways in which you've worked, whether it was getting Tim to Honduras, and we we appeal to you now that you'll help Miss Sally get there this week. Lord, we, we lift up to you just so many things, just saying thank you, God, for those in our congregation who were sick, and we now see them back with us this week. They're now better. We just want to say thank you, God. In big and small ways, you have heard and answered our prayers. And, Lord, we're just thankful to you. You are our ultimate yay. Now, God, by the power of your spirit, give us boldness to go ask others, how can I pray for you? Strengthen us through your spirit to pray, to repent, to ask, to give our yay. Strengthen us, Lord. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.